We're going to continue through the book of Galatians. We're halfway through Galatians. We've covered the first three chapters, so we're going to go into chapter 4, begin at the top of the chapter, verse 1. If you turn in your Bibles there, it's a good time to remember to turn our ringers off our phones. And Galatians chapter 4. Father, we thank you that we can partner with you and just the, the ministry to give us sacrifice of, of giving, of praise, of our service to you. Lord, it all belongs to you anyway. There are eternal benefits to people as we invest, as we're able to be a voice. A voice of truth in a dark world that's getting darker. And Lord, as we enter into this season at Advent, Lord, I also know that not only is it a wonderful time of the year for many of us, but it's also a very difficult time of the year. Because I've talked to those who are hurting, who have experienced loss, those who are just afraid of what is ahead. And Lord, as we read your word, I pray that we would be comforted. That even as Pastor Luke read to us, that the promise is Emmanuel, God is with us. He is with us here this morning. He's with us every day. And you promise you'll never leave us or forsake us. I pray that we would be established in your grace and in your truth, knowing that we have the full benefits of the, as adopted sons and daughters and the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father. So bless this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 3 that we just finished last week, the apostle began to very, very clearly show us that your justification, or, or that is you being declared righteous before God, is based upon faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based upon the keeping of the law. It wasn't based upon circumcision, as the Judaizers of the day were telling the Christians in that area of Galatia. And so in chapter 3, Paul, uh, as we continue in this chapter, will be, once again, he is establishing, that is, the Christians in the true gospel message that he has brought to them. Now, you remember in chapter 1, he said that, I didn't make this up. This is uh, not made up by me. It's not a man-made doctrine. The Lord revealed this to me. And he also said in chapter 1 that the gospel was something that they were turning away from. Uh, they were turning away from the gospel of grace to a different gospel, which is not another. And as one thing that we have learned going through the book of Galatians, and always keep this in mind, there's only one gospel. So what Paul is doing here in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is taking us step by step through the gospel of grace and the doctrine of grace. And he would use Abraham, he says, I will show you from scripture that it's, it's been this way. He goes clear back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that it tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It would be 14 years later in Genesis chapter 17 that the covenant of circumcision came to Abraham and his descendants. But Abraham was declared righteous 14 years before circumcision. 
So the conclusion is, is that his faith is what declared him righteous, not the act of circumcision. We also know that he would mention how the promise was made to Abraham. Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Gentile nations and people would come to to Jesus Christ in faith are justified. By faith, we are linked to Abraham. We are truly Abraham's descendants. And the law, as we read last time in the emphasis, can't save anyone. The law is perfect. The law is righteous. The problem is you and I. We can't keep the law. And so it has a curse to it. It declares us all confined. It declares us guilty. And the purpose of the law was to be a tutor to bring us to Christ. And as we give our hearts to Jesus, coming to him in faith, and we are then sons and daughters of Christ. We're baptized into Christ, or that is we identify with Christ, baptized into the body of Christ. You put on Christ. You come to Christ in faith. And the just shall live by faith, not by circumcision. Our relationship with the Lord is not based upon legalism. But it is based upon our faith in him, receiving his grace, this gospel of grace, and loving the Lord. Just marveling at what Jesus has done for you, for me, in freeing us from sin, from the penalty of sin. Because the law does not give life. It only declares us guilty. We are in a hopeless state. But Jesus died for us because of his love for us. And when I live in that love for him, listen. Paul would say that the law could be summed up in one word. And that is love. They asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I find myself walking in that love, walking in his grace, you will find yourself walking closer and doing better and having joy and desiring to please him. Because love always does more. What legalism does, if you put yourself under legalism, and I hope that we're understanding this, that you're trusting in that legalism to be justified and get God's approval, then it will become a burden to you. And that's why we will read it when we get to chapter 5, that Paul will write, don't be yoked to that. Don't be yoked to legalism. And that's what was taking place with the Galatian believers. They were to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. So we end at chapter 3 with Paul declaring to us as believers, we are heirs according to the promise. We are Abraham's seed by faith. And Paul continuing that thought is now we move into chapter 4. We read in verse 1 of Galatians. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Interesting couple of verses here. In both the, the Jewish and Greek cultures, there were definite coming-of-age ceremonies. Now, a lot of us know that the Jews call it a bar mitzvah. That is when a, a young boy at the age of 13, he reaches that age. They're considered no longer a child but an adult. In the Roman culture, there was no specific age when the son became a man. It happened when the father thought the boy was mature. And I think that perhaps Paul has more of the Roman culture in mind because he writes until the time appointed by the father. So a Roman child would become an adult at a sacred family ceremony. It was called a liberala. And at that ceremony, the father would actually formally adopt the child, uh, the heir. And 
that child would be given a new garment. He was given the family ring. So Paul here begins the chapter by telling us that an heir, as long as he is a child, he's like everyone else, in that even though he or she is destined to inherit everything from the father, as a child, it does not happen until the father says so. Matter of fact, Paul writes that the heir is under strict care of the guardian until the appointed time. Now, we talked about the guardian last time. The guardian in the Greek culture would work for the master, and he kind of raised the, the child. He would teach them lessons. He disciplined them even. Uh, he, he took a lot of responsibility of raising that child in the instructions of what the father gave to him. And at a certain age, when that child became an adult, then the guardian had no more authority over that child. The, the relationship changed. Now, today, in a way that we might understand is that parents or a father might set up a trust for his children. And in the trust, what's in there, the assets, the money, does not belong to the child until the appointed time. And there is a trustee that's appointed, a guardian may be appointed, until the child gets that trust, whatever the trust declares when that's going to happen. And what Paul is telling the believers of Galatia is that you are heirs according to the promise given to Abraham. You know how it is all worked out in this world in a physical sense. And so now here is how it works out in God's kingdom. This is how it works spiritually. Let's continue reading in verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So in this comparison, we were children in bondage we are in a state of spiritual immaturity. Now when Paul writes that we were formerly in bondage under the elements of the world, to the Jews they were under the bondage of the law. And again in the previous chapter that we read that the law confines all under sin. We can't keep the law. Uh, we're lawbreakers. And because of that, uh, the wages of sin is death. The, the law shows us that we are sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God. Now, these are Gentile believers that Paul is writing to. So the Gentiles were being told to put themselves in bondage, that is, back under the law. Um, they were to not only circumcise themselves, but we know that, as we've already talked about, that the scriptures indicate, and as we continue in chapter 4 here, that they were to put themselves under the law of God as well. So they were to, to do those things and trust in those things. It's okay that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but that's not going to bring salvation. You have to keep the law. You have to, to circumcise yourself. But then in verse 4 we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I love these two verses. As we read last week, again, the purpose of the law was to show us that the law doesn't bring life. The law has never saved anyone. It only brings a sentence of guilty. We've broken the law. And the law, the purpose of the law, they might ask Paul, as, as he wrote in chapter 3, then what was the purpose of the law? The law was to be a tutor to bring us to Jesus Christ. And when we come to him in faith, we need the Savior of the world. He has saved us. He's made provision for uh, forgiveness of sin, salvation, right relationship with the Father. So the law then has fulfilled its purpose. And we no longer put ourselves back under the law or keep ourselves under the law. 
when we have faith in Jesus Christ who's brought us life, who's redeemed us, who were in bondage, those of us, to the law, or those who were the Judaizers in bondage to it, that they now need to understand, and you Galatian believers, and you and I here this morning, that we've received the adoption. God is the one who has brought hope and freed us from the law by sending his son. And I love that in verse 4. It's a good verse to, to remind us of the season that we're in, that he sent his son in the fullness of time. And that word fullness of time means at the right time. When Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3, he was told by God that you now live in a fallen world. It will be thorns and thistles and toil you shall work the land. In the sweat of the brow you shall eat bread. For the dust you are and to the dust you will return. But the Lord didn't leave them without any hope, did he? And you have the first promise of Messiah given to them. Clear back in Genesis chapter 3 as God would say to the serpent that deceived Eve that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the promise of Messiah from the woman. And it would come at the fullness of time. We talked about how Abraham told that promise once again as God said to him that Abraham, I'll make you a great nation and in your seed that is singular, speaking of Messiah, that all the nations shall be blessed. The covenant would pass through Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. Then came Moses. And Moses brought them out to the mountain of God out there in the wilderness. And that's where the law was given. But there was a covenant that was made. You keep the law that I'll fall, you know, you follow me and I'll bless you. But if you break the law, then what's going to happen is you're going to find that judgment's going to come. You'll find yourself being defeated by your enemies and you'll end up in bondage and going off into captivity. We know that after Joshua went into the land, that the days of the judges, 400 years, that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They ended up in bondage to their enemy. And even in their history, after the reign of David and Solomon, as the nation split in two, the house of Judah, you had those kings that were uh, worshiping idols. And King Ahaz, that 700 years before Jesus came, Ahaz was a terrible king. And it would be the prophet that came to him and said, ask for a sign from God. Ask it in the heavens, on the earth, under the earth. And Ahaz, who wasn't right with God, would say that I'm not going to ask for a sign. And it would be the prophet, Isaiah, that would say that God's going to give you a sign. That behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She'll call his name Emmanuel. Again, God with us. It's going to happen in the fullness of time. And it would be 700 years later. You see, they would go off into captivity and be in bondage to the Babylonians. We know that as in our study in the book of Daniel, remember? And then after the Babylonians came the Medes and the Persians. And after them came Alexander the Great and, and came the, the Greeks. And then we know that it would be Rome that would come into power at the time of the birth of Jesus. People were afraid. And in Luke chapter 2, 400 years where there wasn't a prophet in the land, the silent years, I'm sure the people are thinking, Lord, are you with us? Lord, are you going to fulfill your promise? 
And I know that there have been those who have passed through the services this morning that they feel alone. And they're wondering, Lord, where are you? Lord, are you with me? Do you care about me? Do you see me? And the promise is still true that God is with us. And it was told to Ahaz that believe the word of the Lord so you can be established. If you're not, you're not going to be established. And I want you and I to be established in the truth of God's love and his promise of his presence. That Emmanuel, God is with you, whatever it is that you're going through. Whether you're going through a loss or challenging time or your heart hurts for your family, whatever the case may be, that Emmanuel, God is with us. And then all of a sudden on that night, when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should register for new taxes and a census, people feeling like they were in bondage, the Caesar Augustus in Rome, they were afraid of Rome, the Roman soldiers, and then Herod the Great was a ruthless ruler over Judea, and then the religious leaders brought a burden to the people, and all of a sudden that night, in that little place, that house of bread called Bethlehem, in the fullness of time came Jesus. And the very first message associated with the birth of Jesus was told to those shepherds out in the field that you don't have to be afraid. For born unto you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It came in the fullness of time. And you and I don't have to be afraid today. And we get to tell people the coming of Messiah and the reason that he came. He came to give us hope. He is the Savior of the world. Light that came to the darkness. And you don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. We don't have to be afraid of the world. Because Jesus Christ has come to redeem us who were under the law. That we might receive the adoptions as sons and daughters. And I pray that you make that your own here today and moving forward. The analogy is simply this that Paul is making. As a human father chose the time for his child to become an adult and to receive the inheritance to be clothed with the family robe, so the heavenly father chose the time for the coming of Christ to make provision for people's transition from bondage under the law to spiritual sonship. So if God sent his son to free us from the law, listen, then why would you Gentile believers or any believers put yourself back under the law? Like the Judaizers were saying, you have to. You as a believer in Christ, by your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, you have the full benefits, not the partial benefits. You have the full benefits uh, and blessing and inheritance as an adopted child. All because of Christ's redemptive work. Paul goes on to write in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So God the Father not only, you know, sent his son, but also sent the spirit. The whole trinity involved in the work of salvation. And now we can celebrate our sonship, or our adopted status, the fact that we're adopted into God's family. 
And now we call him, because we have the spirit of adoption, we can call him Abba, Father. Matter of fact, when Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8, he says, you don't have to have the spirit of fear, but you have the spirit of adoption. Abba, Father. Abba in the Aramaic, it's a word that, that means father. It's, it specifically refers to young children addressing their fathers. It also takes on the English meaning of daddy. And that is something that only a child may say to their fathers. It's something that my four kids, even though they're adults, that they still call me. They call me dad. Hey, dad. They don't address me as master because they're slaves. They don't address me as sir because I'm some kind of drill sergeant to them. They call me dad. And in that relationship between children and their father, it is, it is, and I just want to say, for some of you who may be sitting there going, it wasn't that way, a relationship of closeness and intimacy and care. And I'm so sorry for the hurt that you've gone through. But the Lord intends us as fathers that we have that relationship with our children of closeness and intimacy and blessing. And because we are born again by the Spirit of God, we are adopted and we cry out, Abba, Father. We're no longer slaves to the law, but we are ones that we are children of God. Just as my children out in the hallway, they call me dad. They don't ask if it's okay, they don't ask permission. They call me dad and father with confidence and with boldness, without hesitation. And we can say to God, Abba, Father, because we're sons and daughters of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. And you see, the law could never do that if you're trusting in performance, if you're trusting in some kind of, of act to, to gain your approval and justification before God. The law's not going to do that. It is faith in him. And any of us that put ourselves under the law, did you really have that sense of intimacy and closeness? That you're my Abba, you're my father. Because I've talked to many over the years that they don't. The scribes of the Old Testament, the Jews, when they were copying the scriptures, when they came to the, the name of God, You'll see it in the Old Testament in capital L-O-R-D. That's, that's the name. And they made it to where you couldn't pronounce it. No vowels. Y-H-W-H. We say Yahweh. And every time they would write and put in the name, they reverenced the name of God so much that they would put their pen down and they would go wash themselves, and then they would come back, and they would start writing. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and they begin to question his authority. By what authority and whose authority do you do these things? Who do you think that you are? And Jesus said, I have the authority from my Father that sent me. I do nothing apart from my, fam from my Father. When they heard that, no one had ever said that before. What do you mean, your Father? How dare that you call him Father? the religious leaders thought. No one dare calls him father. And then when they came, they said, teach us to pray. What did Jesus say? This is how you pray in this manner. Our father, our father. And then at the tomb, as Mary was there and saw the resurrected Jesus, Jesus said that, Mary, I send to my father and to your father. 
It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to realize that we're adopted sons and daughters. And Paul here is telling these Galatian believers and you and me, because you are sons, that you cry out. You don't have to say, can I call you father? It's okay. Or tearing with, over with fear, you know, and, and hesitation and all this. No, you cry out, Father, I need you. I belong to you. I'm no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's what faith does. That's something the law could never do. So are we understanding that? Not only does faith in Christ free us from the curse of the law because we break it and we can't keep God's holy standard, but faith declares us righteous before God, and it makes us sons and daughters of God, and again, an heir of God. Now, if you're looking to be an heir, coming back to you know human standards, whoever's will that you're in, it's nice if they have a lot of money, right? Or am I the only carnal one around here? So, I mean, right? It'd be nice if they actually were wealthy or something. My point is simply this, that one of the great truths that we have in the New Testament is that we have an inheritance of God through Christ. We're joint heirs of God because we belong to him. And we're talking about Things, the eternal glory that is, we can't even imagine. I mean, really think about that. That belongs to us. Join heirs with Christ. The eternal things, the glorious things. Because we're sons and daughters of the, the living God. We have a godly inheritance. We're joint heirs with Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Paul, as he continues to make an appeal not to turn to legalism, verse 8 we read, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desired again to be in bondage? In Acts chapter 14, when you read Paul's first missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas first were traveling through the area of Galatia, they came to Lystra, and Paul performed a miracle. He healed somebody. And the people got all excited when they saw that healing, so they said, the gods have come down to visit us, Hermes and Zeus and Jupiter and Mercury, and they're the gods, and the, and the people were going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul tears his clothes, he said, no, don't do this. We're not gods, we're but mere men. And he gave them you know, the gospel, to, to, to turn to the true and living God. The Gentiles in their pagan beliefs, they would do religious activities and rituals and burn incense, and they would sacrifice oxen. And then the Jews, they would put themselves under the Mosaic law. So what Paul here is doing is he's getting them to think once again. Think about this. Whether you come out of a pagan background or a legalistic background, you've now come to Christ by faith, and whatever past background that you come out of, turning to Jesus Christ as your Savior, what you were doing is you were saying what I was leaving was inferior. And what I am believing now in Christ is superior. It is true. It is better. It is life-giving. So how can you leave that, which you know, which, you know, to be superior, to be true, to go back to that which isn't true, that which is inferior? 
to that which cannot save you? Why would you, verse 9, turn again to the weak and beggarly elements which will lead to bondage? It's like you're in quicksand. You're going down quickly. And you're struggling to get out. You, you wiggle and you yell and you scream, but it's only when somebody comes along and pulls you out that you're free and you're rescued and you're saved. Well, spiritually, the only one that has and can rescue us from sin, sinking in the quicksand of sin and death and bondage, why would you jump back into it, into the quicksand and try to wiggle your way out when you can't? Going back into bondage, being trapped. So you Christians, don't jump back into something that won't help you, free you, yoke yourself to it, trust in it for salvation, legalism, some, some kind of keeping of days he's going to say and months and seasons. He says, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain and we'll pick it up there next time. But I've seen people do that. They come to Christ. They come to Christ. They're in their newfound belief in Christ. They love the Lord. They're learning. And all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, you've got to observe the Sabbath or you're not really saved. And it just, they think, really? And in their desire to, to please the Lord or be more spiritual or try to gain God's approval, they put themselves under something that's not going to save them. So we're going to talk about that more next time. But will you leave this place remembering this and making it your own? And may it become more real to you that you that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? Don't question it. Don't complicate it. You are adopted children of God, and you have the privilege to cry out, Abba, Father. So, Father, we do thank you. <laughs> what a privilege, our faith in Jesus and what he's provided for us, that so we can come this morning and address you, Father. Oh, Father, thank you for the sending of your Son. And we're going to come to the communion table, Lord, and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us in providing salvation, allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. But as we know, the communion table is for any believer, any believer in Christ to partake of, of communion. But if there is anyone that is here that you haven't given your life to Christ, right now is the day of salvation. Right now, you can give your heart to Jesus Christ. The Bible says for you to turn direction, to repent. Quit trying to be good in your own energy. Quit trying to be good in your own self-efforts, your own religiousness, whatever it may be. Or maybe you come out background thinking that Jesus could never forgive me. Listen, all manner of sin is forgiven. <laughs> he died for all of your sins. And then he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. And you can call out on him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and, and call out to him for salvation, to believe in him, for forgiveness of sin. He loves you. To have life. To be adopted son and daughter of the living God. And the invitation is always to come. You can do it right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you. I turn to you because you are my Savior. You are the Savior of the world. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again, you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior.
And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God. I thank you for, Lord, your love for me proven that while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. I thank you for this new beginning that I may walk with you and know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And as the communion elements are handed out, I pray that we continue to just worship and prepare ourselves to take of the elements. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we're here as we come together as one to the communion table. In Jesus' name.